0: This morning we are continuing in our look in Proverbs chapter 12 and we're just going to deal with a a couple of sections. This is I think the first time I've taken two different sections and tried to throw them together. But this morning we're going to look at verses 9 through 11 and verses 23 through 28. And one of the reasons why I'm doing that is I feel like we've spent a lot of time talking about um, the tongue and people's speech and righteous speech and wicked speech and we're kind of jumping over some verses that deal with that. Uh, but these verses, these uh, nine verses that we do have, the 9 and 11 and 23 through 28, they go along together in a way. And what we're going to see are themes about righteousness and themes about diligence and hard work. And we're going to look at the opposite of those, uh, wickedness and also laziness, and those that... Speak a good game and then don't do anything about it. And, and so this morning what we're looking at is, is the idea of righteous diligence. The, 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 the steady work ethic and way to live your life that uh, over time sees success. Sometimes we want to we get there too soon. We want to jump ahead. We want everything now. And that is definitely the way the world, and, and if you think about those people that we honor as a society, those that we elevate and are excited about, generally it's people who get successful quick, or, or they, you know, we, we, we talk about Bill Gates building Microsoft when he was so young, and uh, we, we have lists, and uh, I've seen, you know, the the, the, the the top 20 leaders under 30, and the, the top Thinkers under thirty. And I, I always see those, even when I was under thirty myself, I'd see those lists and I'd say, Why do I want to listen to these people? <laughs> you know, they haven't done anything yet. They maybe wrote a book. Why do I want to listen to them? I'd rather listen to the person who's fifty and has been in this industry for a long time. Let them share their wisdom. Let them share what they have. And and, and that is what uh, Solomon holds up for us that that persistent diligent work. And so that's what we're going to look at. And what I want to do is just go through all nine verses together and then we're going to look at the ones that group together as we go through it. So let's go ahead and follow along with me please as I read. Proverbs 12 verses 9 through 11 and then 23 through 28. Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant, than he who honors himself and lacks bread. A righteous man has regard for the life of his animal, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. A prudent man conceals knowledge. But the heart of fools proclaims folly. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. I'm having to make sure I'm on the right slides here. I I could just type this one right there. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. A lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. In the way of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. So hopefully as we've gone through those, you've seen these ideas of diligence and righteousness. And maybe there are some verses that we looked at that you're kind of thinking, okay, I didn't quite see how they worked in with the whole thing. And uh, But we'll, we'll, we'll unpack them and, and we'll look at them closely. The, the first three verses I want to look at are verses 9, 23, and 25 together. 9 is uh, where we started, Better is he who is lightly esteemed. And has a servant, than he who honors himself and lacks bread. Light, uh, to be a person who is lightly esteemed. I, I never really understood what that is saying. I think you know, lightly esteemed people just don't think much of him. No, to, to be lightly esteemed is to be dishonored. To be considered inferior, to be degraded by other people. So, so what he's saying here in Proverbs twelve nine is better is the person who is put down, who people disregard and dishonor. Uh, better to be that person and yet have a servant. And what does that entail? To have a servant means that you make enough money not just to survive, but to employ somebody else. Notice it's, it's a servant is somebody that you hire to work for you. And so this is better to be a person who, who other people don't think highly of, who is maybe put down for their ways or their talk or their actions or who they are. Sometimes you just can't help that. But yet, is doing well enough that they can actually have a servant in their life. Better to be that than the person who honors himself, who elevates himself, who, who honors and, and, and you know, makes much of himself, and yet lacks bread. Isn't even able to do enough work to feed himself. And so, what we're getting is this contrast between a person who is on the outside looked down upon and yet inwardly is doing really well, and those who look really great and yet inwardly they, they can't even feed themselves. I think, I think of this in, in, in regards to Fort Worth as a kind of a, a society and a city as it runs that you have a lot of wealthy people in Fort Worth. You really do. But you wouldn't know it by looking at their truck. You wouldn't know it by looking at their boots. You wouldn't know it by anything. They can seem down to earth, they can seem like just a a normal person, and, and you didn't realize they're a millionaire. Whereas, go to our cousins over there on the east side of the Metroplex, and you got people putting you know, sparkly things on everything they wear and dressing up and making themselves look greater than they really are sometimes. And you can see somebody driving a car, and you think, wow, that's a really fancy car. They must have a lot of money. And uh, That's the way I think things. You know, if I see somebody driving a really fancy car, I think, wow, they must be doing pretty good. Well, no, most likely they're just paying a really good loan. Or they're paying a really good uh, debt on that car. And that's that's this contrast that he is creating in verse nine here, that that it's better to be lightly esteemed and yet have a servant. And, and in a similar way, in verse 23, this is one of those that kind of feels like it doesn't go along, you know? A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. At first that kind of might rub you the wrong way. Why is a prudent man concealing knowledge. Why isn't he sharing knowledge? But the focus is less on uh, on that than the attitude contrast. That that the heart of a fool proclaims folly. He has no problem, a foolish person has no problem spouting off all their folly and letting you know how foolish they are. Whereas a prudent man, and, and prudent means to consider the future and to be careful about how you live your life, a prudent man conceals knowledge. In other words, a prudent man doesn't have the need to tell you everything they know. Sometimes you've got to draw it out of them. A wise person doesn't feel the need to impress everybody with just how wise they are. But, you know, a fool. A fool's heart just has to proclaim their folly. They have to try to impress you and, and make much of. Just like, you know, you have the man who is lightly esteemed and yet has a servant, and then you have the person who honors himself, who glorifies himself, and yet can't, you know, can't even feed themselves. There are those who will honor themselves, they'll puff themselves up, they can't help but proclaim their folly, and yet the wise person, the one who is working quietly and has the servant and is doing well, They might have wisdom that can help you, but they're prudent. They recognize, just because I have the wisdom that can help you doesn't mean it's going to help you. Just because I have the wisdom to help you doesn't mean you're going to listen. Just because I have a solution doesn't mean you're looking for the solution I have. And so a prudent person conceals knowledge. That doesn't mean that they keep it away from other people and hoard it, but it's the idea of, recognizing I don't have to say everything. I don't have to share everything. This is a tough lesson to learn if you're a person given to gab. Uh, I can testify about that. <laughs> but that's the, that's the focus. So then when we add to that verse 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. But a good word makes it glad. Now how does, this, how does this connect to those other two verses and how does it connect to all the other ones we see? Well, what is anxiety? To, what does it mean to be anxious? Are you anxious? Are you ever anxious about something that has already happened in the past? No, it's happened. What we're anxious about is what's going to happen or what is currently happening that is out of our control. You know, I I can confess to feeling some sense of anxiety as I see my three kids in one vehicle go away. I don't know why it is. I don't feel that way when I'm in the driver's seat, but when I see them all get in the car, and William, and he's a good enough driver, he's a good driver, he's a good driver. Uh, Let's just say, you know, after he got his license, he had to decide his own way of driving, not just do everything the way I wanted him to do. That's tough to accept, isn't it? But anyway, he's a good driver. And to watch them go away all in one car, I, I, can, I can feel some anxiety. That's when I start thinking, what happens if there's an accident? What happens if? What happens if? Has anything actually happened? No. Are they injured? No. Have they all died? No. It's just me being anxious. And that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is a fear and a worry and, uh, and, and concern about something that hasn't actually happened yet. Or, you know, you can be anxious about... If you have a loved one that's in surgery, you can be anxious about what's going on in that surgery, but what is that anxiety? Nobody ever says, wow, I'm really anxi- anxious. I'm concerned that they're going to come out okay and everything's going to be great. We're not anxious about good things. We're anxious about bad things. We we think bad things are going to happen. And that is what the anxiety is. And so anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. It, It bows us over. It holds us down. Anxiety does not help us. But a good word, something that is pleasing to hear, an encouragement, that makes a person's heart glad. And so what this has to do with the other two verses is is that anxiety is not the truth. What we are anxious about is not the truth. Now, it may come true. You may have a loved one who goes into surgery and you may be anxious that they won't come out, and that may actually happen. But until it has happened, it's not the truth yet. It's just a possibility. And the anxiety is just stealing the present from us. But a good word and encouragement can help us uh, feel better. And I, I'm sure you've all been there too, where you're, you're in the waiting room, you're waiting for them to give you some news, you're waiting for the phone call, the doctor come out and say, hey, we're, you know, we're all done, this is what happened. And you're sitting around and you're anxious, you're worried about what's going to happen, how's it going to go, is everything going to be okay? And, and fortunately, hopefully, you have people who come. Family members, friends, neighbors, and they sit with you, and you talk. And sometimes you just talk about nothing. And you you encourage. You get your you know they get your mind off it. They we go here, we go there, and it lightens your mood. It helps you feel better because you're not so focused on what might happen, which is the anxiety. And and that's the thing is the man who who has a servant, but is lightly esteemed, the truth is is that he is doing well. Not the esteem that everybody holds him in. The person that puffs himself up who honors himself, the truth is is that he's starving. Not how good he looks. The same is true about anxiety. The the fact is that the anxiety is not true. It is a possibility, yes, but it hasn't become real yet. It, It doesn't do us any good. Uh, What we need in our lives, what we need to recognize is that what what matters is what is real. Whether it is uh, the person who is lightly esteemed, whether it's the prudent person who knows his knowledge. You know, that that was the other one. I was trying to remember the other verse, to be honest. Uh, You know, the fool with his folly is saying all sorts of nonsense. But the the man of understanding, the person of understanding who conceals knowledge, the prudent person who conceals knowledge, they're focused on what is real. And that is is what these three verses, when when you tie them together, the common theme, is that what matters is what is real. You know, my dad used to tell me that uh, you can always deal with, you can always work from. You might not always be able to deal with the truth. We can't always handle the truth. But you can work with the truth. You can work with the truth. The truth gives you something to start with. But if you're starting with a lie, it doesn't matter how great your your calculations are. It doesn't matter how great your... Your processes—it doesn't matter how great your thinking is—if your premise, if you begin with a lie, everything else will be messed up. But with the truth, even a truth that hurts, it's something you can work with. Even if you don't like what it says, it's something you can work with. You can process and you can move on from. What matters is what is real, not what—and our, our again, what—what what are people like today? It's all about making things look good outside, right? Regardless of what's going on inside. We talk a lot of times about going to church and putting on your mask. You know, We don't want people to know the troubles that are going on. We can come together and we can gather in church and people are going to churches all over the place and you've got marriages that are splitting up. You've got people living in different rooms and, and, and they're barely holding it together and they don't have anything to do with each other, but you couldn't tell when you see them in church. Because we want the facade, we think the facade matters. We think the mask that we put out is what matters, just like the fool in his folly, just like the person who, who honors himself and yet lacks bread. But ultimately, what matters is the truth. Going along with that idea of truth and, and the servant who, or excuse me, the person who is lightly esteemed but has a servant. Uh, You might have noticed the idea of diligence showed up a lot when we were going through those verses, right? And and that is something that is real. That diligence, uh, a steady pace at work, at life, at trying a new skill, pays off. You know, you start now and, and in the first three months it might not look like it's going anywhere. But if you keep at it, after a while you look back and you say, wow, it's been four years and I've done this diligence matters. And that's what we see in Proverbs chapter 12 with verses 11 and 24 and 27. In verse 11 it was, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread. Now remember the the person who puffs himself up, who honors himself, has no bread. He lacks bread. But he who tills his land will have plenty of bread. And, And I think he who tills his land is similar to the man who is lightly esteemed but has a servant. It's that diligent work that maybe isn't so flashy. People don't Pay attention, but it's what comes through in the end. He who tills his land has plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. And the understanding is, is that by pursuing worthless things, you don't have plenty of bread. You're the person who puffs yourself up. You're the person who, in his foolishness, has to proclaim all his folly. There are people like this all the time. I'm sure you've got a relative or a friend or a neighbor who always has a great idea about what they're going to do next. They always have it. I've been that person in the past. It's painful to think, but I have. They've got an idea of what they're going to do. This is the next thing. This is what's going to work. But no, tilling your land, being diligent in that. Uh, The idea of of tilling your hand now in verse... um, 24, uh, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. It's the idea of uh, the, you know tilling your land, you're going to get bread. Well, the hand of the diligent, and how do you till but with your hands? And you have to be diligent in doing it, and the hand of the diligent will rule. As you work over time, as you continue to go, as you continue to, to strive over time, you'll get to a place of position, a place of respect, a place of ruling even, that those who plug away. But the slack hand, the one that can't be bothered to work, the one that can't be bothered to put in the time over and over and over again, what they're going to do is they're going to be put to forced labor. Because they have no bread, they're going to have to find something to eat. It's like the story of the prodigal son who went and spent all of his inheritance and then he was without food and without money and when he was without money, he was without friends and so now he has to go and work and the best work he could find was for a pig farmer. And one day he thought, this is terrible. I'm so hungry, I want to eat what the pigs are eating. I should go home. My dad's servants are better taken care of than I am. I should go home and at least be a servant in my dad's house. That would be better than what's going on with me today. The slack hand will be put to forced labor. Going along with that idea of the slack hand, a a lazy man does not roast his prey. He doesn't bother to cook the food he's going to eat is the idea, which was in a, this was against the Levitical law. This was, it made you unclean. You were not supposed to eat uh, food, meat with the blood in it. You weren't supposed to eat it raw. And yet a lazy man does not roast his prey. There was a story about uh, in, in First Samuel, where Saul and his uh, foolishness, made an oath that nobody could eat until they won the battle. And the men were so hungry that they were trying to you know, kill and eat animals straight without cooking and roasting. And they had to solve that problem. Hey, wait, wait. At least roast it. Well, a lazy man does not roast his prey. This doesn't have to do with any foolish vow of a king. They're just too lazy to bother. But the precious possession of a man is diligence. What matters in life over time is just, to a certain extent, showing up. Showing up, diligently working, continuing to work at it, not expecting it to happen fast, just being consistent. And what we see in all three of those verses is that diligence is the way to success. Not not some scheme, not some plan, not some investment that's just going to turn around and go great. Diligence. Steady. Put in the hours. Put in the work. Put in the effort. Put in the time. Go and and till the land. Work it. Keep going. Diligence is the way to success. What, What is real? Work at it consistently. Keep going the 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 dreams and the get rich quick schemes and the instant fame ideas that so many in our, our country you know and that's what we honor you know it's it's just like you know the whole question about why why do we value sports so highly that a high school football coach is paid so much but uh, a science teacher not so much you know we don't have on tv people doing equations right But you can find professional axe-throwing on ESPN. Among many other things, I've seen professional cornhole, you know. We don't have, well, we do have professional mathematicians. We just don't celebrate them on their own TV channel, do we? I I don't, and honestly, I don't know if that channel would get much uh, subscriptions. But that's the way we run. But the truth is not what we see. The truth is not those that are flashy. Those that are diligent, those that work, and maybe are even lightly esteemed—they're the ones who are better off in life. Well, we have we have three more verses. This is one. This is one of the verses that why I wanted to look at the, these passages because this is such a, a key verse in Proverb. A righteous man has regard for the life of his animal. And that word life, it doesn't just mean the blood pumping through your veins. Life has the idea of soul or living being. And I'm not saying that animals have souls. I'm not saying that they're going to be in heaven. Uh, But anybody who has had a pet knows their pet has some kind of a personality. Anybody who has worked with horses knows different horses have different personalities of a sort, even though even that phrase, personality, comes from the idea of personhood. But you know, these animals behave differently, if nothing else. And a righteous man has regard for the life of his animal. Not just is it fed, is it healthy, but he has regard for its being as an entity, as what it is. He, he has regard for what uh, it likes, what it dislikes, what scares it? What makes it comfortable? What what work it can do? What work it can't do? A righteous man has regard for these things, even for an animal. And the idea here is, is that if a righteous man cares that much for a dumb beast, dumb meaning it cannot speak, not necessarily that it's, you know, we're putting it down. How much regard do you think he'll have for other human beings? If a righteous person has regard for the life of his animal, don't you think a righteous person will have regard for the people around him? Or her, as the case may be. That we're going to consider these people around us as being individuals with their own life, their own story, their own personality, their own cares, their own dislikes, their own fears. And we'll actually have regard for their their being, their soul, their person. But in contrast, it's not that the, the wicked doesn't have regard. No, what it says is even the compassion of the wicked, even, even the, the, what makes the wicked person move for another person, it's cruel. Even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. We're not even talking about having regard. We're just saying that the, the littlest bit of compassion the wicked person has for another person or for their animal it comes out as cruel. And I think about this a lot of times in regards to the decisions and actions we take as a society to help people, that it's compassion. right? You want to help somebody in need, there's compassion involved. But so often, even what we try to do to help ends up having within it some cruelty. We don't think fully about what we're doing. I mean, just the, the simple matter of uh, somebody who comes and asks for money. It can be on the side of the street, it can be on the sidewalk, they can be coming uh, to your house and saying, I need help, would you help me? And and there's a sense where, you know, you, you can say no, and, and I'm helping them because I'm not giving them anything. Or you can say, yeah, here's some money, and we don't worry, we don't think about how that's affecting them. But even to be in a position where you're relying upon other people's handouts... It can be compassion that causes us to give. But what is that doing to the person, their soul, their life, who they are? I think it's neat that in the in, in, in biblical times, uh, poor people were expected to go out and work in the fields. They could glean and they could get anything they wanted out of the corner of anybody's field. They had a right to to go into a field and go to the corners that were planted, but were not harvested by the owner. And they could harvest. And they could walk behind the owner as his servants harvested. And if a servant dropped something, they couldn't pick it up. If you had a grape uh, vineyard and, and you cut a bunch of grapes off the vine and accidentally dropped them, they stayed on the ground. You were supposed to move on. That was in Leviticus. That was for somebody who could come along after you and pick it up and live. But they had to get out there into the field. So I think God cared more about just taking care of them. He wanted to take care of the whole person. And we don't quite do that. The, the, the kindness or the compassion of the wicked is cruel. So we have to watch out for, for that. But the righteous person, they have regard for the life Of their animal. They have regard for the people around them. As we look at the righteous, the righteous is a, as this is the New American Standard, and it says the righteous is a guide to his neighbor. King James Version says the righteous is greater than or better than, uh, I don't have it memorized, but basically greater than his neighbor. Some translations have the righteous needs to be cautious about. His neighbors. And, and so what it all is coming from is that word, a guide, is the word to spy. So for instance, when the Israelites were going to the promised land and they chose 12 spies to go into the land to, 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 to walk around and to see it and to give a report, those 12, we call them spies, and they went in and they spied out the land. That's the word for a guide. But prior to that in Numbers, they actually, as the Israelites are going to the promised land, the Ark of the Covenant goes before them and spies or guides them on the way. So you, you can understand this passage in different ways, and, and, and we have to try to figure out which way's the, not necessarily the right way, but the best way. And I think what the NAS and, and a lot of translations have done is probably about as good as it gets. Yeah we need to be cautious about who we become friends with. But when you tie it with the way of the wicked leads them astray, and and that's the idea when it's uh, the righteous is cautious about their neighbors or or should be cautious, it's the idea that you don't want to get to following the ways of the wicked because the way of the wicked will lead them astray. But I, I think the better understanding is that the righteous spies ahead for his neighbor or is a guide for his neighbor, and the idea that uh, in contrast to the way of the wicked, which is going to lead you astray, if you follow the way of the righteous, you're going to go in the right path. You're going to go the right way. That the righteous person isn't going to lead their neighbor astray. If you have a righteous person living near you, they're not going to lie to you. They're not going to do things to hurt you because it benefits them. They're going to tell you the best thing for you. And that can happen not just in neighborly ways, but uh, with work, with school, with family members. A righteous person who is your uh, supervisor, who knows that you could do a better job somewhere else, that you could do better for yourself somewhere else, isn't going to hide that from you. They're going to encourage you to develop and to become more of who you're going to be and who you can be. But a wicked person who wants to keep you to themselves, who likes using you, they might not help you move up in those ways. But a righteous person is a guide to his neighbor, helps lead them in the right ways. And the right ways, in verse 28, in the way of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. In other words, eternal life is found In righteousness. And notice there is no contrast. There is no the way of the wicked is death. No, but it's implied because in the pathway of righteousness, there is no death. And and so the righteous man or the righteous person has uh, concern for, has regard for the life of his animal. The, The righteous person is a guide to his neighbor. And in the way of righteousness is life. And I think when you put those three verses together, what we see is that righteousness gives life to all in its sphere. Righteousness, it, it, it gives life. <laughs> David's not doing it. <laughs> Sorry. Then. So many times I'll have to say it and then I'll have to repeat it because of one thing or another and I had to repeat it for myself. So that's fun to me. But righteousness gives life. To all in its fear. Not just to the person who's righteous. Not just to the one who is, is living right and is uh, living in, the, in, in, in what is real and not puffing themselves up. But the people around him experience that life. Those that are friends to a righteous person are going to be led in good ways by that person who has wisdom and who has understanding but doesn't feel the need to share it all the time. But they're going to be a blessing to you. And the righteous person who has Concern and and regard, even for the life of his animal, that's giving life. Because they're not working those animals to death. But they have regard for them. They're caring for them. So throughout the righteous person, all those in their sphere who they touch experience some form of life. And we definitely see this in Jesus, don't we? that He gives us life because of His righteousness. And so when we take this passage all together, you have what matters is real. What matters is what is real, not not what we can project. That diligence, being diligent in our work, is the way to success. And I think when when you're righteous, you're going to be diligent. And when you're righteous, you're going to be focused on what is real not what is puffed up. And when you are righteous, you're going to give life and bless all who are in your sphere. So I want to encourage us today to seek to live in righteous diligence, to to plod on every day, till your land in whichever form that takes in your life. Live and seek to live with righteous diligence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and the encouragement in how to live. Lord, we can get so focused on what we see, what is presented to us from the people around us, and it's not true. It's lies. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to To recognize what matters is what is real. That we should work diligently in what we have. Lord, we pray that we would be righteous. That we would have care for one another. That we would seek to honor You in how we live. And that we would be a guide to other people in the right way to live. Lord, that we wouldn't live falsely with our neighbors but that we would honor You and how we live with them. We thank You, Lord, for the life You have given to us in Your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that You would guide us in His ways and continue to help us to grow in wisdom and in knowledge of You, the Holy One. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.